This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, good morning. It is uh, a Sunday after Thanksgiving, and by the looks at your, of your tummies, <laughs> we have Thanksgiving Thursday and then Friday and Saturday, and you'll have it today and tomorrow. But uh, it, is, it is good to celebrate a day when you can just thank the Lord for his just blessing us so much, hasn't he? Uh, last week I had mentioned that uh, I, I, I had to split my sermon up last week because I, I told Dave, I said, it's 80 minutes long. And I know you don't want to sit it for 80 minutes. So I split it into two. So this week we're going to finish up the last part of that, uh, of that message, uh, Our Sure Hope. So if you'll please take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 3, verses, 10, uh, verses 4 through 10. Uh, we, we will look at uh, the second part of this message on our sore hope for this morning. John writes, beginning at verse 4, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded of your words. says, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Lord, it is good to be here with brothers and sisters, Father, uh, who love you, who come here to worship. Father, we're not here for the music or to see me or see anyone else in this church, Father. We are here to get a visitation from you. Lord, we ask for your anointing. We ask that you pour fresh oil upon us, Father, that we might see who you are. And therefore, seeing who you are, Lord, we might see who we are, that we are sinners who are just saved by grace. Lord, I just pray that you'll bless this message. Press, bless the activities of this day, Lord. May our thoughts and our words and our actions be pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. So we left off in verse 3 last week, and, and we saw that, that uh, without Christ in our lives, that nothing amounting to any spiritual value, nothing that amounts to any spiritual value would ever be accomplished without Christ. That the, the reason we are, we are able to do anything that is spiritually pleasing to God 
is because, as Paul says, it is Christ who is in us who's the hope of glory. And we need to keep that in mind that, that we, in and of ourselves, I don't care who that person is, you can go from the, 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 the top of the ladder to the very bottom rung. In fact, some of us don't even know where the ladder's at. But uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever you've done, listen, without Christ in your life, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. The only person that has faith is a person who knows Christ. You live by faith and not by, not by sight, but by faith. That's a person who knows Christ. <clears throat> Now, depending on which translation you have of the Bible, and I know probably in a group like this there might be several different translations, but if you look, if you look at verse 3, or verse 4 rather, uh, you might find uh, uh, different, different renderings of the word commit. Uh, John writes in verse 4, everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, sin is lawless. And it is, I, I'm on the wrong verse over here, forget the word commit. It is the idea of practicing sin that is confusing to people and practicing lawlessness. Whenever he talks about practicing, it doesn't mean that, uh, that we're trying to accomplish, make it better you know, we're, I want to practice this until I really get it right. We know how to sin, okay? I'm going to keep on sinning until I really get it. Uh, so we're, he's not talking about practicing sin. He's talking about habitually living in sin. You know, if we habitually sin and we enjoy sinning, then, then, we, then, we have got, then we've got a problem. And, and so... When he says everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, he says because sin is lawless. And then, and then he goes right from there. He says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The problem that we, that we face, folks, and you know as you read through the Bible, is that there is so much written about sin. Uh, we, we, we habitually practice it. Uh, we find it in, in every book of the Bible that, that we are sinners, that uh, we are sinners from the time of conception. We're sinners until we die. And, and so that sin is not just an act of sin that's spoken of here. Uh, but John is speaking of a person who says that they are Christians. And, and I'm, I'm a, I'm, I want to believe that not, not in this group here today, but there are people who say that they are Christians not in this group, hopefully, but at the same time, even though you may say that you are a Christian, you act in such a way that is contrary to the nature that you're supposed to have in Christ. You say that you're a Christian, but there, there's nothing in your life that demonstrates that you are a Christian. In fact, John writes in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. We're not habitually practicing or doing what is true. So a person who says that they are 
Christian, and yet you live and act like you're not a Christian, well, that person has got a problem. And so we need to, we need to look at ourselves and say, I, I made a commitment to Christ. You made a commitment to Christ. Whatever, whatever time frame that was in your life, you made this commitment to Christ. Have you from that time onward, has your goal been, not that you've been perfect at it because none of us are perfect, but has your goal been that as you're going through life, that your idea is this, I want to get closer and closer and closer and closer to God. I want to keep on drawing near to God because the closer I draw to God, guess what happens the closer you draw to God? The Bible talks about drawing near to me, resist the devil, and he will do what? He will flee from you. So our goal in life is as Christians, we want to draw nearer and nearer and nearer to God. And because we, we grow, we mature, we build, we build ourselves up in the faith. But also at the same time, you're able to resist the snares and the wiles of Satan. So then we come to verse 5 over here. And we read in verse, in verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Let's, let's look at this more carefully. In order for sin in a person's life to, to be dealt with, there must be a, a, a way or there must be a means for which that sin could be forgiven. We need to have the sin thing taken care of in our lives. Now, I, I mentioned this before uh, in a sermon some time ago, but I'll tell you again. I met, I met a guy, I was working with a guy one time, and, and he had this belief that Jesus Christ did not have to go to the cross. He said all that Jesus needed to do was just snap his fingers, and we would all be forgiven that he didn't need to die. Then I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not theologically correct. If, if that's all Jesus had to do, then why, why would he come here and suffer in such a way? Why would he? And, and the answer is, it's because God loves us, and God wanted to demonstrate his love toward us, and that's why he sent Jesus only to demonstrate his love. But that's not true. Yes, God loves us. God loves you. He loves you more than anybody else can possibly love you. But that is not the reason why Jesus came, the only reason why Jesus came to this world, to die. The necessity of the death of Jesus Christ is built up on one thing. First of all, that Jesus came in order to glorify the Father. You'll find that in John chapter 17. Jesus came here in order to glorify. This is what God wanted. You read the book of Acts when Peter preaches at Pentecost. He says, you know, you nailed the, you, you nailed the Messiah to the cross. He said, but even though you did this, it was God's predetermined plan. God, God had determine this from the very foundation of the world. Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He came to fulfill this mission in order to glorify all that God wanted. But there's another reason he came, and that is that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, all of you and myself. He came for those reasons, but primarily, the number one reason is not to demonstrate how much he loves people, but to do the will of his Father. To glorify his Father. It, is, it ought to be your aim and your ambition in your own life. You know, as, as the Westminster Catechism so accurately says, what is, what is the chief aim of man? It says the chief aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, that's why Jesus came. To do the will of his Father, to glorify him in doing his will. So... The forgiveness of sin cannot be 
be provided by anything or anyone that is under the curse of sin. If something is under the curse of sin, it cannot, it cannot appease sin. It cannot appease the one who's been offended by sin. We are taught in Scripture that all, that all of creation, all of creation, anything that you see, stars, sun, moon, planets, whatever, whatever, people, anything that has been created, light, anything created is under the curse of sin. We read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 21, listen to what Paul writes, he says, that the creation itself will be set free from the slavery, uh, 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 its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That means that all of creation is enslaved to sin. It is in bondage to sin. You were conceived in bondage to sin. No one had to teach you to sin. You came, out, you came out of your mother's womb looking for a way to sin. You know, we got to teach people to do the right things. When, you, when, when, when there is no law there to instruct people to do the right thing, what we do is we give them a driver's license and let them bother me. No, that's... Just kidding. What we do then is we, we use... We use human law in order to establish a standard for a person to live in a normal, in a normal standard of societal expectation. So that's what, but when, there, when that law is not present there, then people do whatever they feel big enough and bad enough to do. That does not need to be taught that is inbred in us from the very time of conception. All of creation, all of creation is under, the, under a curse. If therefore all of creation is under the curse of sin, then it is only logical that nothing or no created being can forgive sin, and that all that is created is fallen due to Adam's sin. Everything in creation is under the curse of Adam's sin. Everything. Also, please consider this. If it was a human being who was the cause for sin, then it must be a human being who should pay for the penalty for sin. If we did it, we should pay for it, right? If I did it, I should pay for it. If you did it, you should pay for it. So that the penalty of sin is then fully paid. If we can find another human being that would die in our place who is absolutely without curse or guilt, freed from any sense of being created, then we can find somebody who could be our sin bearer. We need a human being who is in every way free from the curse and from the guilt of Adam's sin. Can you think of anybody? There's only one person. Only one. That person then is to be perfectly free, 
from both inheriting Adam's sin and who has lived a life that in every way has followed the prescribed laws of God. Only this person then is able to pay for the penalty of sin. And let's look again at verse 5 of our text. Verse 5 says, You know, he appeared for, uh, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus was and is perfect in every way, and he fully followed every prescribed law of God. How do we know this? I could tell you this, and I'm, I'm assuming you might believe me, but shouldn't the Scripture support what I'm telling you? Well, let me give you some Scripture, and, and, and there are other Scriptures, but let me give you at least a few of them. If you're looking for a place where it says Jesus fulfilled the law of God in His life, let me give you some verses. Matthew 3.15, Matthew 5.18, John 4.34, John 8.29, and a host of other passages that Jesus fully, fully accomplished all that God had prescribed in His law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but we're talking about the whole law of God. There's over 600 of them that Jesus Christ completely fulfilled all that God had required. He's the only person that can do this because there is something very unique about Jesus. And Jesus, even though He's born of a human mother, did not have a human father. He was conceived by whom? The Holy Spirit of God. Verse 6 says then, listen, Jesus has freed us from the sin. It says, and no one who abides in him, that's yuns, okay? No one who abides in him sins. And no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, John is not telling us that we can or we must attain to sinless perfection in this life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever just, just gone through the day and, and, and thought to yourself, what, what have I done today that I've sinned against God? And he said, well, you know, sometimes we think, we think of sin, have I killed anybody? You know, uh, have, I, have I stolen, you know, anything? I'm not talking about those kinds of sins. I'm saying, have you done anything, thought anything, said anything that robbed God of the glory that is due Him? Have you said something that offended somebody in, in, in such a way that God would be robbed of glory because of what you said? Have you done anything, or did you fail to do something that would rob God of the glory and the honor that is due Him? I'm not talking about, you know, you go to some church and say, well, that, that is a, a, a cardinal sin, that's a mortal sin. That is a lesser sin, it's a venial or some kind of a sin. Folks, sin is not measured like that. Sin is simply this. Sin is basically you have robbed God of what is due Him. And that is glory is due Him. And you're taking, you've taken that from Him. All sin no matter what size you think it might be, all sin. Have you gone through the day and just said, that thought I had violates that. That action I did violates that. I have, I have, what I have done today, I have robbed God of the glory and the honor that is due Him. Have you done that? 
When you go through, and then you, all of a sudden you begin to find out this, 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 and this. You've gone through, and there's 40 or 50 things you've done that day that have violated this principle that you've robbed God of. So John is saying that, that we, we're, we're not going to attain to a sinless perfection. But what he is saying is that the, the overall character of the person who is a believer, that ought to be you and I. The overall character of you and I who are believers is to line up with the biblical teaching. The way we act, the way we talk, the way, the way we interact with other people, does it correspond to what Jesus says in a, in a biblical teaching of how we should conduct ourselves, how we should behave ourselves in society, how we should be when we are by ourselves at home, when no one is there to see us. Do we take sneak peeks at something on TV that we should not be looking at? Do we put something before our eyes that is worthless? When no one is watching and I'm at work, am I tempted to take something that does not belong to me? Well, this isn't hurting anyone. Oh, that company's got billions of dollars. I'll just put this in my pocket. You just robbed God of his glory. You call yourself a Christian. You've just robbed God of his glory. What John is saying is that a Christian does not sin as a matter of habit. Do not sin as a matter of habit. Look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Of course we sin. Every one of us. But thank God that we have a Redeemer who has paid for the penalty of my sin. That you as a Christian, you realize that God has gifted you. God has given you a gift. I know it's getting close to Christmas season, but you know that God's given you as a gift. And that gift, only you have it. A lost person does not have this gift. You as a Christian, you have this gift. And that is what? That I can go to God and I can repent of my sin. Lord, and what repentance is, is repentance and confession means that I'm agreeing with God. I agree with God that what I have done is wrong. So confession is I agree with God. What I've done, I, I repent of that and I'm back on track with God again. It's not that I'm going back on track. It's like, well, you know, it took, me, it took me six months to get away from God. Now it's going to take me six months to get back. Let me tell you something. The moment you repent, the moment there's confession, the moment you repent of your sin and say, God, I am sorry I've offended you, that I resolve that to best of my ability, I'll not do this again. Lord, I agree with you that what I've done is wrong. The moment you do that, you're back on track with God. It's not a journey back to God. You're on track with God right then and there. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ already paid for the penalty of that sin. What God needs from you to do is for you to remove the guilt of that sin from your life. You're living with that guilt of your sin. You're living with the guilt. Jesus paid for it. But you're living with the guilt of it. Listen, get rid of it. Lord, I confess to you that what I have done is wrong. 
The character that is within me because you've put it there allows me to say to you that I confess my sin and I know that by the grace of God, I'm back on track with Jesus Christ again. That that ought to excite you. What a gift. You know, back in the Old Testament, they couldn't do that. Man, you, listen, if you and I lived back in the Old Testament and we had to kill a lamb every time we sinned, we'd, we'd have to have a herd of sheep. We'd be bringing sheep in every day. Here's when I, you know, he has old sheep guy Pat coming in again. Pat the shepherd, bring him on the sheep and kill it. Do not, do not allow yourselves to be deceived by those who may try to convince you that since you are a believer, that you can live as you want to live. It's my body, I'll do with it what I want. Great. I mean, let me know how that works out for you in judgment time. I can do this. Listen, I'm a, I'm a grown person. I can do what I want to do. Let me know how that works out for you. I want to tell you something, folks. When we die, when we die, and we will, you know, the only thing you got to do in order to die is just live long enough, and you'll get there. But when we die, when we get to glory, and we stand before God, you'll either meet Him as your Savior, or you'll meet Him as your judge. I don't want God to be my judge. I want Him to be my Savior. I don't want to be judged. God, I just want you to be fair with me. You you want me to be fair with you? Okay. The elevator is going down here in the next second. You'll be taking that. That, You don't want God to be fair with you. You want God to be merciful toward us, don't we? We want Him to be merciful. We want to say, listen, Jesus paid for my sins. There are those who think about Growing up, they, they say that they've, they talk about growing up in church. They say, oh, listen, I grew up in church. I've been to Sunday school. I sang in the choir. You know, I played this and that in church. I served as a deacon in a church. I, I was, uh, I was a, 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 a Eucharist in the church. I was a, a reader in the church. Whatever, whatever you did in a church, whatever you, you know, I served communion in a church, whatever. You can tell me all those things that you did. Well, la-di-da, that's wonderful. We did all those things. Those things are going to help us get to heaven. Oh, preacher, I was baptized. I was, yeah. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I was baptized in your church 300 years ago. Yeah. I've not seen you, but. It doesn't mean anything. You can tell me all you want about all we've done in the church. But who are now living a life that is fueled and fed by the designs and the desires of this world? When a, when a person says that they've been in the church, but they, they live like they, they, they belong to the world, we have a problem, don't we? That's what John's saying. He says, you you can't say that you are a Christian and live like you belong to the world. It doesn't make sense. 
So this is what he says in verse 7. He says, make sure, in verse 7, he says, make sure no one deceives you. When you place your trust into Jesus Christ, that does not mean that you are free to sin. It does mean that you are free from sin. As Paul says in Romans 6.18, he says, And having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Folks, either you are a slave to sin, or you are a slave to righteousness. You are a slave to the things of God. Either way, we are in bondage either to Satan or to God. If you are born again, what does the Bible tell us? If you are born again, that we are bondservants of Christ. We are, we are slaves of Christ, that we are, we are to do His will. Is that not what the master tells the person? He says, this is what I want you to do. And the person says, okay, that's what you want, that's what I'm going to do. Your employer says, hey, listen, I want you to do this, and you do what your employer says to do. Well, we have a, a person who's called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's a boss of all creation. He controls all of creation. And he says to us, because we are in bondage to him, he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to live a life that honors me. We are duty-bound to do that. But if you say that you belong to the person who's the king of kings and lord of lords, and you're doing the desires and the designs of the, of the devil, what does that tell you? I'm not trying to make anybody upset over here. I'm just telling what the scripture is teaching us. That we're freed from sin and we're slaves of righteousness. Keep in mind that as Christians, we have put, you and I have put on a new nature, 2 Peter 1, 4, we put on a divine nature. Our moral self has changed. Our character is to express itself in proper behavior. Your character expresses itself in proper behavior. On the other extreme of that, we have verse 8 where we read, the one who practices sin is of the devil. So listen to what John is telling us. A person's sinful habits and practices are in agreement and are welcomed by the devil. And that person's eternal destiny, unless God by his grace should intervene. Let me tell you something. A person who is a person who is a slave to sin, a person who's a slave to Satan, to the prince of the power of the air, that person who's enslaved to, to Satan. Unless God, unless God intervenes with His grace in that person's life, that person's e eternal destiny is in the abode of Satan. Every reprobate, every reprobate from the time of the fall and until God's final judgment will be there. Who in the world that has a normal thought process would want that? It is, it, it, I, I, can't, I can't understand it. My mind can't figure that out. If you had a choice of, of, of being in, in hell for eternity, if, if you had this choice of being in hell for eternity, 
where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, where the, where the worm dies not, the Bible says. You know, you're like a bed of maggots around you, and fire and flame and the presence of Satan. To be there or to be in eternal bliss with God, where there's joy unspeakable. That's a tough one. Let me see where I want to go with this. So here's what we have. Satan's goal is to deceive and to destroy. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we read, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Some years ago, I, was, I preached a sermon on that text, 1 Peter 5, 8. And I brought into the church that day a large dandelion. It was about this big from the, the leaves on up about this big. But when I dug it up, I just didn't dig that part up. I dug the root up with it all the way down, all the way down to the very bottom. That root was like this, just the root. It was huge. That plant all together from the top where the yellow flower is at to the bottom of the root was like this. It was huge, a dandelion. The word dandelion is a French term. It means the tooth of a lion. The tooth of a lion. That's what sin is. Satan prowls about like a roaring lion. He's, he is like, he's like that dandelion in your life. Because sometimes we think that, well, it's the new year's coming about. We're going to have a new, new year's resolution. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up Brussels sprouts. I'm going to give up kale. Let me tell you something. We make these resolutions, and guess what? Oh, yeah, I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. Okay, great. I'm going to cut my left arm off. <laughs> Folks, you know how long those resolutions last? Come back the next Sunday, and let's see if you're still holding out to that thing. When you pull out the dandelion, if you don't get the root, you get the dandelion back. That's what a resolution is. I resolve, I resolve this, I'm going to be a, I'm not going to sin. Yeah, that'll last about three seconds. I'm not going to do this, or I'm going to do this, whatever. I'm going to lose this, or I'm going to gain this, whatever you want to do. I'm going to turn my, I'm going to turn over a new leaf in my life. Doesn't work, does it? All you're doing here is pulling out the flower of the dandelion, but the root is still there. And that's what Satan does in our lives. He is like a roaring lion, and he lives, he lives to deceive and destroy and disrupt you and other people. Friends, listen. Satan desires to corrupt the minds of people and cause them to think that their religious habits and actions are sufficient enough to get them to heaven. And that is a false hope, isn't it? You ain't going to do, you ain't gonna do it. Verse 9. Verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin. That's what I'm talking about, practicing practicing sin. Because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. I can only hope that this church 
does not have the problem that about every other church has. And you say, well, preacher, what is that problem? The problem is this, or I should say the issue might be this. It's the issue or the theological understanding of eternal security. I want to just spend a moment talking about, a few moments talking about eternal security. Because there's always somebody, for some reason, that says, well, you could lose it. Well, if you think that you got it, if you think it was up to you that, to get it, I suppose, then you could lose it. But if God gave it to you, then how could you get rid of it? Verse 9, the, the wording, you see the wording, you find it twice in there, at the beginning and the end of the verse. It says, is born. Do you see that in verse 9? Is born. And it's found toward the beginning and the end of the verse, and in the Greek, and I'm not trying to give you an English lesson, but it's important. You know, when, when, when we read the Bible, we, we interpret it, and we have this Western, I don't mean cowboys, I'm talking, we have this Western, American, Western European mindset that I got to read it, and I read it the way it's supposed to be. But do you realize that when John wrote this, he did not write this in American English, thankfully. He wrote, it was, the Bible was written what's called Koine Greek, all right? So he's writing it for, for the people back then, 2,000 years ago. It's written in Koine Greek. The, the, the term is born is a, is a perfect participle. And if you'll just allow me a, a moment to explain what this means, I, I trust it will help you in understanding what is born means an eternal security. If something is in the perfect tense, I said it's a perfect participle. If something is in the perfect tense, it speaks of an action that's been completed at a time past. Okay? At the time of speaking. For example, John says, is born. He says twice, is born. That means he's writing this to a group of Christians. Okay, he's writing to, he's not talking, he's not writing to a bunch of lost people. He's writing to Christian people. He says, no one who is born of God. He means you who are reading this, if you are born of God, you do not practice sin. So that is born is a, is a, is a perfect participle. The perfect meaning that it, at the time that John wrote this, and he's speaking to those people, if they were saved... If they were saved, that they are born of God. When you, sometime in your life, for me it was 53 years ago on June the 15th of 1969. I came to believe in Jesus Christ, put my trust in Jesus Christ. That happened to me at that specific time, June the 15th of 1969. But there was something specific to you. But back then I was born of God. And he would say, Pat, no one who is born of God practices sin. And that was true back in June the 15th of 1969. It is also true November the 27th of 2022. Because Pat is still is born of God. Perfect tense. Something that happened in the past is still continuing today. The, the participle part is simply a word that, that carries qualities of either, either a verb or an adjective. And it simply does this. 
it, it qualifies, and this, av- this adjective or this, at this uh, uh, participle can qualify a noun. So when he says is born, the person, the person, you who are born of God, you, you the noun, I the noun, we are the person born of God that at the time that it happens still continues to happen for that person today and will continue on for eternity because that is what a perfect par- a present participle a perfect participle is in the Greek that it happened back then it will continue on until eternity ends you cannot lose what God has given you. You can lose what you've given yourself, but you cannot lose what God has given you. It is God's gift to you. He's not going to take it back. I didn't earn it. I can't keep it, but God earned it for me, and God keeps it for me. Because I am in Christ, and you are in Christ. Well, thank the Lord for perfect participles bottom line is is born means that you are born of God and you stay born of God friend you are born of God and you are bound for glory also notice the term his seed that's found in the middle of verse 9 this is God's divine nature spoken of in, in, in 2 Peter 1.4. Do you know that when you became a Christian that God implanted in you a divine nature? Not like people say, well, everybody has a divine uh, something or other spark of God in them. That's not true. The person has a divine spark of God in them, a divine nature of God in them is a person who's trusted in Jesus Christ. That's not everybody. That's for the believer. It is impossible then for a genuine follower of Jesus Christ to habitually, habitually live in sin. To practice sin. To commit sin. The word commit or practice, depending on what translation you have there, it just simply means that it is a habitual practice of yours. A habit of yours. That no person who's a genuine follower of Jesus Christ continues to habitually, on and on and on and on, without, without any sense of conviction, sin. So let's move on to verse 10. We'll come to a landing on this sermon for the day. Verse 10. This is a good cross-reference to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, the first part of it. In, 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 verse, in chapter 7 of verse 16 of, of Matthew, Jesus says this, You will know them, you will know them by their fruits. Look at a person's life. That tells you what the person's character is like. It tells you if there's a, an, an ounce of Christianity in this person. Look at their life. The lifestyle of a Christian and the effects of that life are the fruits which show as to whether that person is living a kingdom life. There are some folks that you absolutely have no idea, no idea that this person is a Christian. There is not a shred of anything in them 
to say that this person's a Christian. Why? If Christ is in you, who is the hope of glory, shouldn't that life exhibit a Christ-likeness? Occasionally. Those who are the devil could, couldn't care less about kingdom living. But you, you, the believer, it matters to you. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, listen to what Paul says. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you, therefore, you say that you're a Christian. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. What is your focus on? What are you focusing on? He says, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Your focus ought to be on Jesus. This is where Christ is at. The reason he's seated at the right hand of God is for the reason that when he came to this world and he lived as a human being, 100% human being, he did everything that was required of him that God prescribed for him to do. He did absolutely everything. He is, he is well qualified to be seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And you and I who say that we are Christian, that Christ indwells us. If that is true, if that is true, and you are seated with Christ, doesn't it make logical sense that you would do those things that are pleasing to Him? I mean, it makes sense to me, but I think it makes sense to everybody. Verse 2, he says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Sometimes I think our mind is up there, and sometimes our eyes are out here. Sometimes we focus on things that are worthless. Our focus is on possessions. Fame, fortune, fashion, fads, that we want to look like we're cool to the world. My desire is not to relate to this world in any way, shape, or form. Folks, when I come to this pulpit, The main thing that is on my mind is that I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And what I say and what I do and the way I relate to Yun's matters. It matters because it matters to God how I relate to Him. I'm not here to please anybody or to appease anybody. 
I'm here simply as a messenger of Jesus Christ. And I want my life to count for that. Our everyday desire, I, I'm, I close with this, our everyday, everyday desire is to keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Christ, my friends, is on his throne. His throne is where every believer is in him. Every believer is in him. You are raised and seated with him in heavenly places. There's no better place to be. No better place to be. I'm not saying that you'll not have troubles in your life. I'm not saying that you're not going to have a, there's not going to be a, a, a rough road for you to hoe. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, there might be more of a hard road to hoe being in Christ. But I know this, that in every aspect of my life, and I believe for every aspect of your life, that you'll come to discover that His grace is more than sufficient to get you through each day of your life. And yes, sometimes we travel through the valley, the shadow of death. And we, we will say with David, but you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray. Lord, our hope is in you. And Lord, in this, in this world, Father, we, we have difficulties, problems, persecutions, afflictions, illnesses, diseases. But Lord, you are bigger than all of those things. And Lord, this world is passing away, and we will be passing away also. But Lord, we, we have this sure word from you. That you've, that, that you've gone to prepare a place for us. And Lord, whether we pass from this world into your arms or whether you come and take us away, Lord, in your return. Father, we have this sure hope, Father, that you have built a place for us. And we are seated with you in heavenly places. And we just bless you and thank you for that. Now, Lord, I ask that if there's anybody here, Lord, that needs to make a commitment to you, Father, that they will do so this day. In Jesus' name, amen.